Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good afternoon. Welcome to this Friday edition of The Call. Really good to be here with you. I'm Nadine Blaney, and we will take a deep dive into 10 of your stock picks. A warm welcome to those of you watching us today on Twitter and YouTube as well. We do live stream this program every day of the week between 12 and 1 p.m. Sydney time on osbiz.com.au. Let's get right to it, shall we? We've got joining us today Junbei Lu from Tribeca Investment Partners and Adam Dawes from Shaw and Partners. Guys, it always feels like a Friday when I see you, and I hope that you're both doing very well. Junbei, how's life treating you and the markets this week, in your view? Uh, look at the market this week has been uh, interesting uh, and it's been treating us well. It's very much stock specific uh, driven news flow. Uh, there is some macro issues that people, you know, start worrying a bit, little bit about inflation and at the same time, a little bit worry about what's China doing uh, in terms of, you know, their curve on the coal cost and things. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting market. We've seen the, uh, the results out of US though so far has been pretty good, but there are definitely a lot more mention about the supply chain disruption, so which is, uh, is is going to dominate our AGM season as well. So yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, dominate that and our Christmas shopping, I do believe as well. Adam, you're looking forward to the weekend. Was it a busy week for you? I mean, is it a busy time uh, when it comes to to you know clients and yeah. people readjusting before the end of the year? Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, really busy, but also doing a couple of lunches this week, which has been fantastic. Getting out <laughs> and. Uh, some people so you know you don't find business you don't find new business under the desk you no. gotta get out and uh start moving around so uh look yeah this week's been good like we had a, a really good week a lot of clients have been sort of a little bit worried as jimbo said they're, they're a little bit worried about how this market's going to go where where the next sort of i guess next uh issue that's going to happen uh, i certainly think agm season is going to be a real clarifier for us and, and even the some of the stocks that have already had their agm we've started to see some more sort of volatility or more volume coming through uh, a lot of these stocks so that's been really really good as well look at overall i think this market is looking really good it's it, we had a bit of a wobble in september uh, we're coming through october november is going to be strong and our fingers crossed that we can potentially look for some new highs coming into christmas so I'm, I'm i'm excited about this market at the moment all right well i like the enthusiasm and to your point about getting out and about i'm sure there's some long lunches happening in victoria right now melbourne uh yeah great to have you guys along and out for of the lockdown let's get to it shall we we've been running our stocks for a crash series so adam given what you've just said i guess you're not anticipating any sort of a crash but if there was one what company would you yep. really love to have or own more of on behalf of your clients, but you just think it's too XE right now? Well, look, there's a there's a couple of stocks. I mean, obviously, something for a big crash, you'd look for those defensive names. So that's, you know, the likes of Telstra, Amcor, 
transurban, those kinds of things. They're the ones that use sort of the defensive parts of, the, of a portfolio. And then even looking at potentially looking at some hybrids or, or those kinds of things uh, coming from the major banks, that would be something that I would look to. Uh, the stock I've chosen today is Aussie Broadband. It's it's uh, currently sitting around $4.90. It's had a fantastic run. I've been a buyer of this stock for the last uh, three months, maybe six months now, and it's been a really good one for our clients, and we've done very, very well out of it. Um, just today, they actually uh, uh, answered some press speculation that they potentially might be taking over another telecommunications business called Over the Wire. OTW is the stock code. Now, obviously, this one at $5 probably looks like it's fully priced at the moment. But again, if this acquisition does come through and they do pull this off, it will become they this uh, Aussie Broadband and OTW together will become probably one of the largest telco players, obviously behind Telstra, but one of the largest uh, telco players on the ASX. So it's a lot about scale. It's a lot about growing that business and how those business two businesses are going to work together. So look, if there is a crash, Aussie Broadband, I think that's a really, it's a classic story. It does some really good uh, service for customers. And it's been a really good one for us as well. But at five bucks, it's looking a little bit pricey. If we could see a little bit of a pullback, they just did a raise at $4. So, you know, if you got it somewhere closer to that, then you'd be definitely backing up the truck on that one. Yeah, and in keeping with the theme, if there is a crash, telcos at this stage of the game, I mean, they're defensive as well. Broadband, who, yeah. who could ever cut back on their broadband spend these days. Uh, Jinbei, same sort of scenario for you. Uh, perhaps a company that, look, if there was a significant pullback, you'd be looking to top up or to get into because you've missed the boat. What is it? Uh, look, actually, um, uh, the, the, uh, what the stock I recommend is actually something I thought, look, if there's a pullback, this stock will outperform enormously. I'll be buying it today or even if there's a minor pullback, it will be incredibly defensive if the share market ever falls um, and uh, and outperform the market if the share market continue the way it is. Um, look, this company is Endeavor. <laughs> That's the yeah. magic stock. You know, what can go wrong selling, uh, you know, selling uh, liquor to um, everyday Australian? Um, look, the earning has been very defensive. However, the earning was impacted by a shutdown in the restaurants and hotels. Um, and as the world reopens, there will be more consumption of alcohol, um, you know, through its uh, uh, the higher margin product um, uh, through its business. So you should see the earning doing, um, you know, very, very well as the world reopens. But if the market does have a, um, you know, sell down, um, you know, this this business is going to be earning is going to be incredibly defensive, um, you know, for its Dan Murphy liquor business. Um, just simply, it's um, you know, it's really selling, um, you know, your your bottle shop, your local bottle shop to everyone. Yeah. and and we saw it through the pandemic. I mean, if anything, people consumed more alcohol, probably just to, you know, put some salve on those wounds. So that's what we've got, Endeavor and Aussie Broadband, two defensive stocks for a crash, but uh, looking pretty good still uh, around now as well. All right, guys, let's get on to the companies that have been brought in by our viewers. I actually don't have a name for this first one on the list. Apologies. Oh, I do, Trent. It's just not in my notes. Trent has written in to ask about Mincor resources. So this is in the nickel space, high grade nickel, not yet in production. It's looking to bring its production online in early 2022. It says that it's got a pretty strong balance sheet, debt and equity funding in place. So it's still doing the mine development construction activity at its major 
project. Junbei, do you know MinCore Resources? Do you like it? Do you like nickel? Just t tell us about your, your sort of investment thesis for this company. Uh, look, we uh, we actually have a, well, Tribeca is actually substantial in this company. So uh, I guess I, I follow the company line. Um, I, I don't uh, invest in this business yet, but we do have a, a, a mining specialist um, fund and do they do like this company a lot. Uh, the main reason being, one is that um, nickel is a good um, metal to hold. Um, it future proofs your um, commodity portfolio, mainly because, you know, it is highly required for the shift into EV and the like. Um, so copper, uh, nickel is a very good place to be. So there's a lot of demand upside. Um, two is that this company, uh, though earlier stage, it does have uh, quite a lot of production, uh, well, uh, upside to its reserve and production. So and now our guys believe that uh, the quality of its resource is very, very strong um, and good management and, um, you know, executions being very good. So, you know, I will put that on the buy, um, uh, perhaps a little bit early stage for my fund, but I will put that on the buy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you can't own everything, can you, Junbei? So that is a buy for MinCore Resources from Junbei Liu. Now, MinCore Resources, MCR, I'm sure you touched base with Peter O'Connor on this one, um, not to negate any of your in, uh, knowledge about it yourself, Adam, but what's, what's, I know, I'm sorry, that sounded awful. What do you think? No, I did speak to Rocky because he, he knows this sector very, very well. So you're absolutely right, Nadine. I, I, I do lean on our analysts and that's why uh, I can look so good. Is that <laughs> well, that's why you've got him, right? <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. Absolutely. So look, he, he, he said that this one looks pretty good. Um, the exploration success that they've had, that they've had at Golden Mile uh, and a couple of other the uh, couple of other uh, deposits have done very very well. I think it, for me it'd be a hold. I'm sort of fairly neutral on it at this price point. I think that um, overall, I think it looks like fairly valued, and it certainly looks like that the, a large capture of what they've uh, the, what they've discovered is basically priced into uh, the share price at the moment. However, if you take a step back and actually look at the nickel price and, and look at nickel, as Jumbei said, around that EV, around all of these other things, stainless steel, all of these other things that you use for nickel, it actually looks pretty, pretty damn good going forward. So on any sort of price weakness, I'd be very, very comfortable to start picking up some Mincor. But really at the moment, the price activity or where it is at the moment, I just think that it probably looks like it's fully valued at the moment. But, uh, we, you know, we spoke to BHP a month ago and they basically said that every ounce of nickel that they produce is taken up by the electric vehicles, is taken up by everything. So there's no spare capacity out there. So once these guys do come into production, I think that they'll do very, very well as well. So for me, it's just I'm neutral and it's a hold. Got it. Thank you. Beacon Lighting Group is the next on the list. This is for Alex, and he's sort of pointing out, um, you know, that it's been punching the lights out. I think, excuse the pun, he wants us to illuminate the company for him. It's been a big beneficiary of the whole home building renovation theme that we saw throughout the pandemic. I suppose he's wondering if we could still continue to see Beacon maintaining its positive trajectory. He's done his own analysis and he says that um, from his analysis, pre-COVID earnings per share growth was pretty flat. So will these restrictions and the easing of lockdown, will that get us to turn our attention, Junbei, to spending in other ways, perhaps not so much on our homes? 
<laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, well, what's interesting about this company is that um, you know it's very much linked towards the um, the, the renovation cycle, uh, and the renovation cycle is very much linked to a lot of time um, uh, the the housing cycle. Um, and uh, now the reason this company has had hardly grown or earning was quite flattish was the um, you know the housing prices was very strong pre-COVID, um, and then uh, so the actual. A renovation boom was um, was pretty weak, um, you know. So people were not transacting house, was not selling buying because house price was too expensive. Um, so you know that has created the sort of flat lining of the demand. Now um, since the COVID, government has put a lot of st stimulus for new buildings and the like, and you know housing market sort of found its life. And so we have seen this significant pickup not only in new houses. Um, now um, you know in the last six months we've seen this huge boom in renovation. Um, if you look at Bunnings number with its life. For like doing 25%, um, you know, compared to pre-COVID, something like 4%, like for like, simply means that we are in a really good condition uh, for business like Beacon Lighting. Now, um, is it going to continue for the next six months? Yes. But is it going to continue for the next 12 months? Uh, it's going to be a little bit tougher. Now, this is a very good business. I love to buy it. I just think at this point, it is pricing in very strong condition. Um, in 12 months time, it will be much harder to cycle the current cycle. Um, and, um, you know, it will need a lot more to, to help it go further. So for me, it's a hold at this point. Um, you know, love to have it when it has a pullback, I guess. Yeah, okay. So beacon lighting, it's just not in buy territory, Alex, according to June Lu. But I'm wondering if you see it any different, Adam. I mean, well, you know, every house that goes up for sale in my neighborhood, at least, seems like it's getting sold pre-auction and then you see oh. you know the building materials outside yep. as these renovations do happen i mean it, it yep. is beacon lighting i suppose in your view able to maintain this momentum well i'll uh, shed some light on this one that's my last joke of the light jokes all right i won't do any more um but no look i think overall i think the housing cycle and the industry uh is is due for some consolidation in this spot um, I think that the, the company has a number of long-term growth opportunities to actually then start to really make some money. And I think their guidance for 2022 looks fairly strong as well. Um, what I think uh, overall is we've definitely seen that beacon lighting, as, as you say, the house prices or has increased and, in, you know, most house prices are sort of 10 to 20% per annum. So certainly it does put a lot of people out of the market. So then they think they better start to uh, renovate their house. But um, if international borders remain closed, which they're now just starting to open up, Beacon, Beacon can certainly focus on uh, a growing trade channel, which they haven't really done a lot of. And our Bunnings has done that very, very well, uh, getting all the tradies in there. But Beacon is also looking at that. And then also Beacon's got the ability, if they can, to lower their rents or try and get some, uh, squeeze some more uh, rent uh, out of the landlords due to this COVID side of things as well. So there's been a couple of things that they can sort of squeeze that margin a little bit more for me. Look, I think this one, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's a buy. I, I agree with Jumba. It is, does look fairly fairly well priced here. But I think, you know, if, if this renovation cycle does continue on, I think this one's got a lot more legs to stand on. And I think this one uh, can do well. So I'd be comfortable to start uh, taking a position in Beacon Lighting. Well, given that, guys, it will remain in the Ausbiz portfolio. And uh, Alex, we do hope that that helped you. Now, just keep in mind that this is not advice for your personal financial circumstances. So it's information only and you should take that into account. 
Let's get on to the next company that's on the list. This is for Kyle. It's Yoji, and it's um, one that I had to look up. Y-O-J is the ticker code. He asks, is it worth holding long-term? Interesting, because it's software as a service, but it's for the logistics um, industry. So fleet tracking, um, apps for drivers, route planning and optimization, which is really topical, isn't it? Considering not only are we just in the midst of this delivery bonanza, I mean, everybody's ordering online, everything's being delivered. I spoke with a, a trucking marketplace the other day and they can't get truck drivers, you know, to move things around, put the supply chain challenges on top of that coming in from ports. I mean, is this a company that's in a pretty good position, Adam? Yes, it is. And it's one that I've been watching for a long, long, long time. So um, ju just to those comments that they can't find anybody to drive the trucks, well, it, it, it's fairly understandable that, and this is not just here in Australia, this is a global issue, that basically that the truck drivers know that within the next 10 to 20 years, uh, everything's going to be automated. And potentially you're going to have automated trucks before you have automated cars. And so they really can't get someone who might, potentially might be a career driver as such to actually get anything moving because they know that their job's going to be basically taken out in the next sort of 10 to 15, 20 years. So that's that's something that's not just here, but uh, around the world. The second thing is, is that um, this one is, is like the Uber for transporting or trucks, because a lot of the time when you, you've got your own truck and you've got a fleet of your own trucks, you know, you, you, you might have two pallets, but you can fit four pallets on a truck. And so what you do is you plug into this Uber system, the OG system, and it will say to you, okay, we've got another two pallets. You know, you know, we know you're going to Melbourne. Can you put them on there? And you get to fill your trucks all the way through. So that logistics side of things, if you work for toll or, or whatever, then that's fine. But if you're a private uh, small business doing these, moving these trucks around, it's a fantastic way to keep the truck full and, you know, and optimize your profit. So I actually really like it. I think you know overall this has very been under demanding on the on the on the revenue and as well as under demanding on the share price. Um, there's only one company that uh, 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 covers it, Euros, and they've got a 50 cent price target on it. So look, there's cer certainly some strong pipeline of opportunities for this business as they continue to get these hubs. Now they have started to go forward and look at other countries. They've got another four or five countries that they've opened up this. So it is a bit of a land grab there, but it's certainly there's for those enterprise clients and that global logistic industry, which is under a, a, a huge pressure at the moment. It actually looks like that it's working out really well. So I'm going to go out on a limb again on this one. I'm going to say it's a buy because of this uh, logistics issues moving into Christmas. Potentially they might get that fixed up next year, but I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult. And so I think uh, YOJ looks fairly good down here at 20, 21 cents. Thank you. How about you, Jim Bay? I know that it's a bit small, but when you look at the company, does it interest you? Yeah, look, it does. I have look. We can invest across the spectrum. Um, this one, I have looked at it for a while as well, and I agree with Adam. I feel um, it's got all the right attribute, you know. So main business in Singapore and the like, and um, started off from there, and uh, you know, it, it and uh, and you know it often uh, announce a lot of um, big contracts and and then um, my problem has been that the the idea sounds good um, the digitization sounds good and uh, they're winning those contracts 
uh, but then the actual earning doesn't come through as fast as they expect. Um, so, look, I, I think for me, it's a matter of execution. I do perhaps they, they just need to build to a scale um, and really to see those big contracts start contributing to earnings. Um, and, um, you know, if anything, the current environment should be like the perfect environment for this business, uh, just given all the you know, supply chain disruptions and people really turn into software like this. So, um, yeah, so I uh, I think I'm sitting on the sideline to uh, really want to see uh, more execution and more, um, you know, success in some of those delivering to some of those contracts. Thank you. That uh, is in the portfolio and it will remain there with that buy. And I'm going to call it a hold from you, Jumbei. Platinum Asset Management is next on the list for Peter. Uh, look, it has been trending down, he points out appears to be at an all-time low. Uh, I'll start with you, Adam, on this one. I mean, that chart is nothing to write home about, is it, over the past year? Uh, fund yeah. outflows, majority are underperforming their respective benchmarks. Um, you've got uh, the international business, Asian funds, uh, the relative performance turning negative again. This will likely put pressure on flows. Is this a value play or not? No, not at the moment. Uh, you know, you, you potentially pick a Magellan before you pick uh, Platinum Asset Management. But really, the, the key the key thing with all of this is is that uh, that underlying fund performance hasn't been fantastic. Additional outflows, which means there's going to be pressure on their fees, and that's the that's the key thing is that if they can't charge their performance fee or if they can't charge those fees then overall the business really is going to struggle. Market volatility has been obviously a big one for these guys and that certainly ha has hurt them as well. But really they, they uh, in the month of uh, October, well not October, uh, September, they, they reported $292 million of, of outflows, which if you annualize that, it's around about sort of 15% of their funds that are starting to move out on an annualized basis. And that's not fantastic. You know, you, you, you want to be in a business, as we know, that is getting some good fund inflows, not outflows. And especially with that retail side of things, and there's a lot of retail shareholders in Platinum. They are going to struggle because due to the fact uh, that that asset management uh, is very much a retail fund. And we and we know fund managers, you get this uh, you get this status where they are become these rock stars. Um, look, it certainly hasn't uh, happened with that. Their Asia fund has also underperformed a fair bit as well. So, look, for me, um, most brokers have got sort of price targets of $3.30, $3.40. But I'd like to see inflows coming in before you'd start to invest in this business. So, yeah, it, it would be a no from me. Anything to add there, Junbei, on, on uh, Platinum Asset Management? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think it, I absolutely agree with Adam. You've got to follow the flow. Um, funds management don't have a business until they have clients walking the door. Um, and uh, and remember, it's a highly, um, you know, uh, highly leveraged business because all your cost base are just people, analysts, and everything's fixed. Um, and then if you're top line, if there's no money coming in uh, and the money's going out, your earnings can be magnified in terms of losses. Um, now, Platinum has struggled for so long with their performances and even you know when uh, their style value style has now started outperforming and they're still not doing that well uh, and then we saw their team leaving because you know normally just creates that negative um, negative uh, sort of culture um, there's team left and then there's the consultant downgrade and then the more flow will leave the door um, so that's been the big issue and that's very hard to stop unless you've seen positive performance there will be a six-month lag 
before you, you know, seeing the performance and then you see the flow. So that's been challenging. And also, of course, um, you know, we got another block seller out there waiting. Uh, I think uh, we just saw the sell down of, um, um, you know, um, part of the stake uh, more recently. And then there's uh, in 90 days, I think she's uh, escrow for another 90 days. So, you know, there's just there's too much negative, um, you know, pressure on this stock. It's very hard to step in and say there's intrinsic value in this business. Thank you. That is a avoid from both of my guests. Uh, let's get to the next one on the list, Baby Bunting, BBN. So back to the retail space. This is for Shahana. Thank you, a regular viewer. I'm just wondering about uh, margins improving. It was a pretty positive AGM. Most of the brokers would agree with that as well. Um, now, is it a buy or a hold for a long-term portfolio? And also pointing out that it's got a 3% dividend yield. Junbei, I'll start with you on baby bunting because, you know, it, it has done pretty well through the pandemic, all things considered. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think uh, uh, for a short term, I would say this stock is a buy because, you know, it's come out of trend, uh, pandemic pretty well and it's got good margin forecasts. And, you know, if anything, we, we are going through a baby boom um, because of the pandemic. Um, so that will mean that demand for a lot of baby products are going forward. Uh, in, uh, certainly in the next 12 months will be pretty good. So on that basis, it's a short term buy. However, I, um, you know, my uh, longer term recommendation for stock is probably more neutral. Um, I have always struggled with, um, you know, this sector. You know, m most of the player in this sector, um, you know, have actually gone bankrupt. That's why, you know, Baby Bunting has come through as a much stronger, you know, um, dominant player. However, um, you know, you, you just can't, in terms of their client, they can't, there's no loyalty of the client base because you literally just buy it for your baby and then you stop buying it and then they have mm -hmm. to market to the new audience and then also the department discount department store um, does pretty well in the cheaper end or the lower end of the baby product um, and increasingly we see more category in the discount department store um, like the Kmart and the others so you know it is a challenging uh, sector uh, baby bunting's done an amazing job uh, but it's always will have more uh, increasing competition into this space. So for me, it's more of a neutral uh, for the longer term. Yes, you're exactly right. You have babies for a period of time. There's not a lot of reason to go back to baby bunting once you've had your baby and they're out of that phase. So Adam, to the point that was raised from Shahana, is this a potential long-term buy and hold in your view? Yeah, look, I, I, I like it. I think I, I, I'd say it's a buy. Um, I, I would continue. The only thing I would say that is obviously everybody spends a lot of money on their first baby, right? And I don't know about both you ladies and the viewers out there, but it was all about the what kind of pram you had or what <laughs> yeah. kind of cot you had. Um, and it is a bit of a status symbol. So I hear Jumbe's point about the low-end um, Kmart kind of thing. But it doesn't work for some of those ladies that like to have the bugaboo, uh, you know, push thing that can do all the fancy stuff. It can fold up with one button and, and makes a coffee while you drink while you're walking <laughs> along. So, um, like, I think I think absolutely, um, you, you spend a lot of money on your first baby, and then the second one just gets all the hand me downs and 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 those kinds of things. But if you look at it, you know, they get you into uh, buy something or, or buy a pram, but then you walk out with every other thing that you really didn't need, but you, you're going to do it anyway. And, and then you've got to remember there's all the grandparents out there that want to spoil their grandkids and all these kinds of things. So, look, I, I think overall Baby Bunting has done a fantastic job. 
there's a little bit of supply constraints, I think, with this one. They do source a lot of in stuff from locally or, or eternally in Australia, but there is a lot of international stuff that they get, so I've got to be careful about that. I think there's about 60 stores, and they're opening up around two to four uh, every sort of six months, and that's all about store rollout. You need to continue keep rolling those stores out through those big discounted areas or through those uh, big shopping malls or super centres that they've got. Lots of car parking, you can move, you get your baby in there and all those kinds of things. But look, certainly I think the first time parents, and there's a lot of them, what else was there to do in COVID but make babies? So look, certainly I think that overall uh, baby bunting for me is a longer term buy. I still think that they uh, do a very, very good job and they've, and they've lasted a couple of these cycles already. It's been around for a while um, and I really like the story. So yeah, I'm comfortable with it. It's a buy for me. Good, yeah, and they're looking to expand into New Zealand. Bugaboo. Haven't heard that for a while, but uh, I yeah, know. I remember I, when that I, was absolutely. all the rage. I, I'm actually just in the market trying to sell my bugaboo now. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I've got three of them. You're, you're perfect for it, aren't you? You're exactly, yeah? You, how much was it? Like a thousand bucks? Like two grand or whatever? Pretty exy. They normally cost about one to two, and uh, but normally the idea is that they hold their secondary value, a bit like the Rolex, so bugaboo. Um, but I have found there's a few Italian brands came in. <laughs> Your secondary market is not as strong anymore. <laughs> yeah, you got to get on Gumtree, keep pumping it. I was more of a mountain buggy type myself, but we'll leave that there. Um, guys, take a bit of a breath and I'll just wrap what we've learned so far in terms of our stocks for a crash series. Jumbe picked Endeavor. You know, she said it's defensive if the market falls and it will outperform even if things continue as they are. Once lockdowns are over, we'll still be buying. If we are in lockdown, we still buy as well. So very defensive earnings for Endeavor in her view. Now, Aussie Broadband uh, was nominated by Adam because he likes the company. There's a news flow out today. It might be looking at taking over another company, OTW. Uh, but at $5, it's just starting to look a little bit expensive. So he'd love to get it on a pullback or any type of a market crash. And I will say, we've got an email from one of our regular viewers, Adam. Credit where credit is due. He's saying, i got to give this one to Adam Dawes. He has kept track as far back as the 3rd of March 2021. You called ABB a buy. It was then at $2.93. So uh, this viewer is saying, thanks, Adam. And uh, yeah, look, that's what uh, we love to hear. Thanks for the email as well. All right, back to the companies that have been nominated by our viewers, you. And we do love getting uh, some of these emails coming in. Mincor Resources, it's a buy for the house at Tribeca Investment Partners. A mining specialist fund owns it. Quality, good management, and the shift in EV is for real. And that is what Adam is hearing as well. Look, he spoke with BHP a while ago and every single ounce that they're digging out of the ground in terms of nickels is being taken up. So he thinks this one looks pretty good, but Rocky, the analyst, the mining analyst there at Sean Partners is saying it's pretty fully valued right now. So it's just a hold coming from Adam Dawes. Beacon Lighting, it is a buy for Adam. He sees the renovation cycle continuing and there's some consolidation, yes, happening, uh, but it's got legs to stand on. For Jumbe, it's a hold. Um, 
she looks at the renovation cycle, the housing cycle, and just believes that it will become tougher over the next 12 months or so. Short term, six months, looking pretty good, 12 months, it will get tougher. Yoji, Y-O-J for Kyle, it's a buy from Adam. He's pretty generous with his buys today, I've got to say. Uh, he says that there's a strong pipeline. He's been watching it for a long time, and he does believe that um, there is uh, lots of potential here. And Junbei has a also been watching this one for a very long time. She says they're winning contracts, but the earnings are just not coming through from those big contracts. So perhaps it needs more scale. She's happy to hold it, but she's gonna sit on the sidelines for now. Platinum Asset Management, it's an avoid, it's a sell, really, because you continue to see this free pressure coming through as funds are withdrawn. And Jumbe just says, follow the flow. There's just too much negativity around this one, so you want to avoid it. Baby bunting for Shahana. It is a short-term buy, perhaps, in Jumbe's view, but for the long-term, which is what the question was about, it's a no. Um, there's no loyalty, she says, because once you go through that cycle in your life or that period in your life, then um, perhaps there's no reason to go back to a baby buntings again. Adam disagrees. He thinks that it's got cachet in the um, whole sort of retail environment when it comes to baby buying. So it's a buy for baby bunting from Adam Dawes from Sean Partners. All right, let's check in on our fantasy portfolio, shall we? Thanks to our friends at NabTrade. We really appreciate their support. And over the past week, we've got a return of about eight tenths of a percent, up by 4.9%. Let's call it that for the month, which is outperforming the broader market and year to date up by seven, seven and a quarter percent. But we've been tracking this portfolio and we also have to thank our guests for helping us uh, put it all together since July 1st of 2020. And we're up by close to 45%. So we've added nickel mines. There you go on that nickel theme endeavor. There you go, Jim Bay, uh, BetaShares Global Cybersecurity ETF Veeam and Lark Distilling, but we've taken out Star Pharma, Alcidian, both biotechs there, PointsBet and Sandfire Resources. If you'd like to look at that list yourself, see what's coming in, coming out of the portfolio, you can do so at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And of course, we'll keep you updated on how it's tracking each and every day here. Welcome back to the call. I have my expert guests with me, Jim Lu from Tribeca Investment Partners, Adam Dawes from Sean Partners. And uh, look, it's, it's got to be a Friday if we're seeing these two guys together with me. Great to have you here. Let's get to it, shall we? Kalamazoo Resources, KZR for Sam. He just wants to get your view on it. It's in gold and base metals. It's in the Victorian gold fields and the Pilbara. And I found this little tidbit, which I thought I'd bring up because it has bought a gold project from Northern Star Resources. Jinbei, welcome. We know that our regular viewers would know that you like the big players in the gold space, but, you know, making an acquisition from Northern Star, what do you think of Kalamazoo? Yeah, look, for me, I would, uh, look, absolutely, uh, Northern Star had to diverse a few things. Um, look, I, I would still stick with the larger players. Um, and uh, just given the track record, um, as well as their lower cost, because, you know, digging gold out of ground is difficult. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's accident prone and it costs a lot of money when you don't have proper expertise in and the like. So it's about cost. What's your cost producing um, those gold? Um, and uh, even if it's the same reserve, you do require, um, you know, 
execution and team and all of that. So it's incredibly important. I absolutely stick with the larger guys. This one, I would um, stay on the sideline and see how it goes. Um, but particularly at the current point where the gold prices um, is sort of tracking sideways and struggling, struggling a little bit with, um, you know, where the economy is going, um, you know, larger gold players definitely give you better protection on that basis. Adam, do you guys see it any different at Sean Partners? Yeah, not really. Uh, look, I, I, I think, uh, look, talking, taking a step back and looking at the actual gold price, the actual gold price has really been struggling of late and we sort of can't work out why. I mean, I think Bitcoin's got a lot to answer for, for the gold price, because basically Bitcoin is now the new store of value, whereas it used to be uh, moving towards uh, gold and that would be something that, you know, you would buy or put in your portfolio or for those people that were really worried, they'd stick it underneath their bed. But now certainly that gold uh, isn't seen as a store or a store of value or even a hedge because now Bitcoin is taking a lot of that momentum and taking a lot of that um, funds that would be flowing normally into that into something else. And that's certainly so I think Bitcoin's got a lot to answer for for our gold stocks as well as the gold price. Now, moving on from that, when certainly gold then moved into over a thousand dollars plus uh, an ounce, then the ETF started getting involved with it as well. So that then created more speculation and more volatility in this price as well. So going forward. So then you've got these small, you've got the bigger guys that can produce a, a, an ounce old for under $1,000 and, and, and they're very, very good at it. But then you've got these other explorers. And look, certainly some of these explorers, they're in the they're in the right space as far as Victoria as well as the Pilbara. They're in the right space. So there's, there's no doubt about it. There is gold in those areas and that's fine. But really the uh, Ashburton gold mine that they've got in Pilbara, it's got around about 1.6 million ounces of a, a sort of a, a current jork resource. Mm-hmm. Now that that is obviously fairly good, but you know that's a, that's got about of a two and a half grams per sort of per ton. So it's not a, uh, a it's not a very high grade mine. It's actually quite low grade, and so potentially you need to move a lot of dirt to get that uh, gold out of the ground. And that's why I think the stock price hasn't really done much. However, it does have Eric Sprott and Novo Resources as strategic cornerstone investors. And as we know, all know that Sprott Asset Management is a very big investor in gold. So that is a, probably a, um, a positive for them. But again, I'll just go back to uh, Jumbe's point. I'll stay with the majors. Something like a Northern Star, I think, or even a Newcrest. I've always been happy with Newcrest. is probably my pick in that gold space. Got it. Thanks, guys. Now let's get on to the next company for Stan. Prescient Therapeutics, PTX. He says the share price seems pretty stagnant, even on positive announcements. So this is a clinical stage oncology company that's really developing a approach to treating cancer. Um, it's a it's a therapy technology, and of course, uh, you know you're in clinical stage trials. Adam, it's um, it's difficult, isn't it? What do you think of Prescient Therapeutics? I- I don't know. I'm going to be totally honest with my viewers. I have absolutely no idea about this stock, and I'm I'm more than comfortable to be able to say that, albeit that I've had a, nearly a day to look at this one. But I kept looking at it, and it's got all these sequences, and it's got all this um, cell therapy, and all this. Kind of, I, I don't understand it. So um, for me, if I don't understand it, I won't ever invest in it. And I need a, you know, you need a doctor, doctorate in something to, to understand these things. So I'm going to pass on this one, Nadine. I, I, I could not make heads or tails of it. From a technical point of view, from a charting perspective, I think it's around, uh, I think, uh, yeah, we're, we're, it's at 21 cents to 26 cents. It's moving in a channel. 
So, look, if you can pick it up around that sort of 21, 22, you can trade it in between that. Around 22 to 24, there'd be some good trading in there. But fundamentally, I don't understand the company, so I'm just going to bow out from this one. It's a no from me. That's fair enough. You can't be an expert yeah. in everything, and it can be dangerous if uh, you know you make it out like you are. You know that's that's a fair comment, isn't it, Jim Bailey yeah. from Tribeca? You know yeah. you can't be across everything. Absolutely. Look, I like Adam's comment. He's going to pass. Can I call a friend? Um, <laughs> um, um, so, look, I absolutely agree. You've got to know what the business is. Um, and uh, I, look, the, the technology sounds amazing. And uh, But I must tell you, the track record of a lot of biotech, early stage biotech company or even medtech companies um, is that it's not very good. Most of them, they do fail, even though they sound amazing and fantastic to start with, um, simply because there's a uh, you know, um, earlier on the data, they only uh, test very uh, limited indication and then they will add more people. And then suddenly um, the, you know, the whatever treatment they come up with is actually not as um, effective as they thought. So and the majority of the time that's been the case. So look, um, this company may well have developed something amazing, but it's just too much risk for a general investor, you know, investor who's not specialist in that whole biotech space. Um, would, um, you know, it, it's, it's a highly risky. Um, I would avoid this one. I'm happily watching it, um, but it's just a highly risky investment um, to be, you know, to be in this one. Yeah, all right. Um, that is the word on Prescient Therapeutics, Stan. Let's get to Magellan High Conviction Trust, MHH is the ticker code. Now I know Magellan came up in conversation earlier, but this is a different product essentially that is listed. It used to be an LIC. It has transitioned into a open-ended, actively traded ETF. So um, look, it's got Magellan's highest conviction ideas contained within it. So that is a concentrated portfolio of between eight and 12 of you know, global, global stocks, of course, being Magellan. Uh, Adam, I know you've got a, a view on ETFs as well. I mean, yeah. what do you think of MHH? Okay, so this one, the actual code is MHHD. Because it's so changed, it, yeah. Correct, yeah, it's changed uh, from that close, uh, from that close end to the open end, and it's an ETF now or an active ETF. So for all those players at home, you've got to put the D on the end of that as well. Um, look, I don't understand. Look, it, it, it hasn't done much. Um, I don't understand why you'd be in the conviction side of things or the high conviction when it, it's all about diversification. And I think, you know, I would rather be in the global fund versus the high conviction one because then it gives me a little bit more diversification. And then they're looking at sort of 15 to 30 stocks instead of nine to 12 or whatever it is. So for me, uh, the conviction side of things, I agree. Hamish is very, very good. Um, I think it's Chris is the other uh, fund manager in that one. Uh, look, it sort of seemed like they were sort of putting some more products together just to get some more inflows. I didn't really understand why you needed a high conviction trust. I mean, they've got some great stocks in there. There's obviously uh, SAP, some Google, some other stuff in there as well. But look, overall, I prefer the global fund. It is a little bit more diversified. And uh, the price action has probably been a little bit better because it's a little bit more diversified. These guys have been holding a fair bit of cash. They'll be right one day when the market does fall, but at the moment they have been underperforming as well. The global fund has underperformed by about 13% against its benchmark for the last six months. So it's been a really hard time for these guys as well. And I think the conviction fund 
will probably be doing the same, if not worse, because of its such concentrated uh, positions. So uh, Global Fund uh, would be the better one for me. Uh, MHHD, uh, I'm going to say no. Jim Bear, do you see it any differently? What can you add? Um, I don't see much differently. I certainly wouldn't be investing in this one. Um, I believe in diversification. We're same as Adam. Um, you know, in, in, in this marketplace, um, you know, only free lunches diversification will bring to your overall portfolio. Um, invest bit of in everything rather than 10 stocks. So you get one wrong, um, you know, and then probability shows you will get one wrong. Uh, that just wipe out your entire performance. So put that aside, um, I'm still, you know, thinking Magellan is too early for me in terms of investing in the head stock the global fund uh, just because the performance is being a bit tough follow the flow uh, flow just started turning a bit negative um, so you know just to be mindful um, you know you need to see the performance improve um, at the same time you know in that whole fund manager space we got another listed one coming through at GQG and that will be listed next week so you know that will just take more dollar out of the underperforming fund managers so um, yeah just me, be mindful of that but that's a no from me for this stock. Um, what GQG Partners, right? So that is a coming to market. Um, that'll that'll be soon, isn't it? Did you say next week? It's next week. Yeah, I think it's. It, I thought I, I saw uh, it's listing next week, uh, twenty something. Um, no. So I'll put it on yeah. my list of things to to track and to get to get us across. Yeah, thanks the, for that. And reminder. the valuation is. Yeah, and the valuation is pretty cheap as well. I think it's at the lower end, so reasonable valuation for that fund manager, which is going through huge growth at the moment. So let's see how it goes. All right, keeping an eye on that one. Now let's go to Phineas Corporation. FCL is the next on the list. This is for David. David, I hope you're watching or you're listening. He's saying that a Macquarie analyst recently published notes indicating that Phineas continues to trade at a material discount to its peers. Is this the reason why it doesn't get the attention of ASX investors? Uh, good question being put to you guys. Uh, do you care to surmise, Adam, or would you rather just talk about the company itself? Yeah, look, I can definitely talk about it. I mean, look, a lot of these, um, and, and look, let's be honest, this probably is one of the IT, well, in the IT sector, it's one of those smaller ones. So you really, you need to be a little bit careful about sort of where you invest in those kinds of things. Um, their market cap's about one and a half uh, billion. So look, it, it's not too bad, but it, it's certainly at the smaller end uh, for, for a lot of people. I think also that not a lot of people look, pay a lot of attention to this because it's in quite of a boring area for IT or for, for, for tech, where they basically sell packages to insurance companies, governments uh, of the like that basically allow them to bring all of their systems in together and uh, so they can look it on one dashboard and they can and they can grow their business. So it is actually quite boring for a, for an IT company, but sometimes boring is good. Uh, here at Show and Partners, we've got a buy on it. We've got a price target of five dollars fifteen, and so our analyst really really does like this for a sort of a slow burn. Uh, he did reduce his uh, share pr uh, target price from five dollars thirty, including the dilution. They just raised sixty million via a placement and, and another sort of ten million via an SPP at around four dollars thirty. So. At the current share price, it's certainly uh, for all those institutional investors that took it up. Uh, you look, it certainly looks like there's some really good value there. But the whole idea of what they do is bringing these uh, systems and computers into into these large organisations. Generally, something like an insurance arm in in America, which yeah. is still largely paper-based or, or very basic systems. 
it just takes a long time for these guys to get these systems online and get the staff trained up and get everything moving going forward. And so there's just those long lead times. And I think the market just potentially is looking for some more of those high flying sort of tech companies that are doing a lot better. And so this one just sort of gets a little bit lost in overall. But for a steady, good quality IT business, uh, I'm going to stay with our analysts on this with a price target of 515. It's a buy. Yeah, it's just not sexy, good old Phineas. Um, listen, Bay, to Adam's point and to the viewer's point as well, I was reading a note from RBC Capital Markets today saying that it is due, in its view, for a re-rate because the market is likely start to look toward other listed tech insurance companies like Duck Creek Technology, which operates in, US, in the US, um, but you know, has, has massive revenues and really great, great um, sales, but trades on a higher multiple than Phineas. What's your view? Yeah, um, I, I agree with Adam. It's not sexy enough. Um, it's, uh, it's, um, it, it is in that space where, um, you know, they need larger contracts and take time to come through. And in terms of growth rate, it's actually not too bad. Um, it does a double digit and, um, you know, sort of you can see that sort of high teens, a double digit growth uh, heading into the foreseeable future. So it's actually a good business. It's not expensive. It did struggle a little bit during the pandemic um, because, you know, a lot of those contracts were put on hold and things. Um, but now things are looking a bit better now this company that the the problem is that it is small it still lack a little bit of scale when compared to its big uh, uh comparison in the u.s duck that business now that company is trading far more expensive than this one but the problem is this one tend to track the ship in terms of share price to that business and that business just warned that, that the operating condition is a little bit tough and share price down something like um you know 10 15 percent um that chart for that comparison is not great um so you know the domestic investor tend to take that as a read through for what's to come for Phineas. so um you know i think it's uh, that's the challenge um for me, um, I would buy it. I think there is value in this business, but it's not something that will re-rate very quickly. So was that a buy? But it's a, a, it's buy, a buy long term hold. OK, that is going in the Osbiz Fantasy portfolio. Thanks, guys. We are at Lucky Last. This is Australian Foundation Investment, AFI for Jazz. It's been away from, around for a very long time. It's a listed investment company and it's mostly invested in sort of Aussie blue chips, but I think that it has started to look overseas more recently, um, but the performance hasn't been great as of late. Junbei, what do you think about AFI? Look, I think like you said, I'm probably more nutritious. Um, I, uh, um, you know, I, it just feels like one of those products, this company has been listed for a very long time. It certainly feels like one of those products that's been um, sort of designed decades ago um, and that hasn't really followed through uh, with the market, you know, innovation and things. Um, you know, first of all, I think the lick as an investment itself is, uh, you know, a little bit challenging in this market. So, you know, when you don't perform well, you're constantly trading at the discount and, you know, and it's, usually very, very difficult to close sort of discount. Um, and two is that the investment strategy is just not active enough to really keep up with the performance. Performance is incredibly important um, for, um, you know, for a fund manager. Um, so, yeah, so on that basis, I, I, I would say it's, um, it's, a, it's a hold. Um, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's not very exciting. And we talked to earlier on, there are other new fund managers coming through, and that's much more, perhaps better investment. Not exciting enough for June Bay. Adam, does it excite you at all in terms of a long-term prospect? Well, look, look, 
I, I see this. I see this stock, uh, African Argo, uh, in my clients' portfolios all the time that I bring across. And and the first thing I always look at is okay, they've got some. You know, they might have inherited from Aunt Martha or something like that. They might have got this this stock, and then it was very popular back in the day before ETFs came on on the scene. Okay, so this was a way to get uh, diversification, somebody to manage the portfolio for you picking the top 20, top 50 stocks on the ASX and then sort of managing those going forward. Now, that, that that's great, certainly, but now ETFs do a lot of that anyway. The second thing that I always look at is the NTA, and the NTA is their net tangible asset backing. So in other words, if they were going to sell the entire fund today, how much money would they get? And they release this number every month. And that NTA at the moment before tax is around about $7.54. So it is actually trading a little bit above. I think I saw that before is over $8.00. Um, it is trading at, a, at somewhat of a premium. Now, sometimes LICs trade at a discount, $8.18, there you go. So uh, sometimes it does trade at a, at, a, at a lower level and you think, well, why isn't it up there? And then some of these ones trade at a bit higher and that's obviously because there's more buyers than sellers, so they're happy to push the price up. But remember, if they were going to sell everything tomorrow, so you want to look for or getting to these LICs at, at sort of around that NTA level or even at a discount. So. At the moment, it looks a little bit expensive on that going forward. Now, the third thing that the reason why I'm sort of don't like these businesses is because then I see clients got African Argo in there, which is fine, but then they hold Commonwealth Bank, CSL, BHP, West Farmers and Woolworths and Telstra, for an example. Now, all of a sudden, you've just doubled up because you've got African Argo sitting there and they hold all of those stocks as well. And then you've got your own positions so really, people don't understand that you're actually doubling up on all of these positions. And in fact, your weighting is, is skewed to the larger side when you've got these businesses. So what it does fit in is for uh, um, a mother or a grandmother or a grandfather or dad wanting to buy something for their kids, right? So it's a great way. But now ETS can do that as well and potentially a cheaper MER as well. But that's why you know I, I think it does fit into uh, an area. We have seen Sol Pats take over Milton Corp. Mm -hmm. Okay, potentially there might be some more consolidation in this LIC space. But when you look at it straight away, NTA it looks at seven dollars fifty-four. It's currently trading above that, so I wouldn't be buying it. Most people have uh, over concentration in their portfolio, so it's usually better to get rid of the African Argo out of the portfolio and just hold those individual stocks. And look, overall, it, it's pretty boring we get back to our GFO's point so um, all in all like that I actually think it's okay it fits into some kind of portfolio but not usually the ones that we run because we can actively manage or we can actively buy those 10 to 15 stocks have them in a portfolio uh, and, and it works certainly better for the dividends and franking credits and everything that go with it so it'd be a no from me. Yeah, and it's always a bit awkward talking to a fund manager and investment advisor about some of these other listed entities. But there you go. We aim to, to give honest information to our viewers. Uh, listen, guys, before I sum up, I will let you go. I don't know if you've got a lunch to get to today, Adam or Junbei. If you do, I'm jealous, but have fun. And we look forward to speaking with you guys again soon. Thanks, Nadine. Thank you. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Have a good weekend. Jim Lu there from Tribeca Investment Partners, Adam Dawes from Shaw and Partners. And I'm going to just run you through what we've learned in the second half of this Friday session of the call. We've got uh, Kalamazoo Resources. It's a no from both of my guests. Go for the big guys. In Adam's view, you know, you want to be with the Northern Star Resources or the Newcrest Minings. Prescient Therapeutics, both are just having a pass on this one. 
Look, it's a really difficult company in Adam's view to understand and get your head around, so he just would rather stay away from it. You can look at it technically, and he gave a view if you want to go back and listen to it, but look, Junbei will just be avoiding this one as well. The Magellan High Conviction Trust. Listen, I gave Adam props for getting ABB correct. I will um, wrap him on the back of the hand for getting the ticker code for Magellan High Conviction wrong. It is MHHD. I should have picked that up myself as well, so thanks, Bob, for writing in on the fly to get us across this one. Again, Junbei says, follow the flows, and that's why she wouldn't be investing in that one. Phineas is going in the portfolio. It's a buy from both of my guests. It may not be incredibly sexy in that tech space, but it's doing good work and is looking relatively good value in Adam's view at this stage of the game. Junbei is looking forward to it getting that scale down the road. Australian Foundation Investment, just too boring. And Adam says, really, if you look at its NTA, it's pretty expensive. They were just talking about that one, so I won't go too far into it. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful to be answering your questions and uh, for you giving me the chance to speak to some fantastic expert guests about equities, which of course we love here at Ausbiz. You can get a submission in at the call, ausbiz.com.au, or of course tweet us, TV. If you'd like to check out that portfolio, the address is on the bottom of your screen. <laughs>